Today is an amazing day because um, we get to talk about one of my favourite topics as we uh, as we discover this five week uh, series, this teaching series on the habits that help us live sent. It just so happens that this week lands on eat, which is the E in bless. And it's not that I just love eating, but I love all things to do with hospitality. I come from that background. You've probably heard me speak on it before, so I'm going to speak on it again because we can never hear much, uh, we can never hear enough of the truth, correct? Yes, very good. So um, we are in week three of this five-week series. We've called it BLESS. It's an acronym which pretty much stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat, Eat with people, don't just eat on your own, it's not just eat, it's eat with others. Serve them, which we'll get a chance to do in a couple of weeks with Help Day, and then share your story, share the truth of the gospel. Uh, and these are habits, this is not a five-part program that you lock in and that we want to train you in, these are just habits. And like all habits, they can take a little bit of time, a little bit of discipline to, to, to get formed, but once you form a habit, it's actually quite hard to break it. That's why it's called a habit, because once you lock it and load it, you can leave it, and it just becomes part of your automatic behavior, your automatic thinking. So today we're going to talk about eating. It's just eat. There it is on the screen, but I want to add with others. Okay? I don't want you to go away from this morning and think, cool, all I have to do to live sent is just eat. No. You have to eat to survive and to live, but to live sent, you need to learn the power of eating with others and, and, and how something we do already 1,095 times a year, we can tweak with a little bit of intentionality, a little bit of a focus, a little bit of an understanding, and it can have a huge impact in the world around us. I really want you to lean in this morning. You know, as we've said in previous weeks, this series is not just to train you all to be evangelists because very few of us, to be quite honest, are going to be uh, given and, and blessed with the gift of evangelism. But every single one of us has been called to reach the worlds that we're in. We've been called to be sent. It's actually a mandate from Jesus, and the whole of this series revolves around John 20, 21. Jesus said to his disciples, just before uh, he, he goes and leaves, he says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am going to be with my Father, and now it's up to you. Now it's up to you to take the baton and to do the work that I was sent to do, but can no longer do because I'm going to be at the right hand of my Father. We've heard a couple of weeks ago Pastor Ryan talking about prayer and what's really important to understand about this series is every one of the habits are not just habits we've pulled out of the Bible or, or got from some great book. They are habits that were absolutely modelled by Jesus during his time on earth and during his three-year ministry. Begin with prayer. As you all know, Jesus spent so much of his time in prayer. I was going to list about 15 verses and then I thought that would be my time this morning. So I, I decided not to do that. But everywhere you look in scripture, Jesus is either going somewhere to pray or coming back from somewhere to pray, especially before and after he interacts with people. We need to begin with prayer. Last week, we heard a great message from Pastor Beck on what it is to listen. We have two ears, we have one mouth. We need to learn to listen twice as much as we need to talk. Listen to people's stories. Listen to, to, to God and to His will and to, to, the, to the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. Jesus listened to His Heavenly Father. He knew 
what he was meant to do because he spent so much time listening to his heavenly father, being aligned with his will and listening to, to others. And if we look at this mandate from Jesus in John, it says, Peace be with you as the, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So how did the Father and why did the Father send Jesus? We read it in Scripture, Mark 10, 45. It says, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke 19, 10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to seek the lost, to love the lost, to, to, to find a way to bring them back into relationship with the Heavenly Father. He says, as my Father has sent you, I am now sending you. So now that's up to us. It's up to us to go and serve people, to, to introduce them to a Savior that loves them and wants to save them. But we also read how Jesus came. Luke 7.34 says this, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The first two statements are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to save and to seek the lost. He came to serve and not be served. But how did he come? He came eating and drinking. He came spending time with people over meals. And this is from his very own words. I came, the son of man, eating and drinking. He could have come on an army of angels, he could have come through the clouds, he could have come leading an army against the Roman Empire, but he came to share life with people over meals. And Jesus should be our ultimate example. We know that he's our moral and and spiritual example, but he also should be our social example. When we look at the effectiveness of how Jesus spent his three years on earth, we need to look at it and go, well, if it worked for him, I'm going to apply that. I'm going to do the same because, uh, you know, the reason we encourage people to get baptized is because Jesus modeled it. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You, You can't go wrong. We are called as disciples to spend time with him, to follow him, to mimic him, uh, and, and as a result, get to know him so that we can then do what he did. And when we examine Jesus and his time on earth, so much of it was spent eating and drinking with people. So much so that the, the religious elite of the time called him a drunkard and a glutton. So that's how much time he spent just eating and drinking with people. That he had this reputation amongst the religious elite of being a glutton and a drunkard. And can I be really honest? I, I am so passionate about finding ways to connect with a world that doesn't want to know about the church, that, that, that is so skeptical to do with anything around Christianity. But, but they do want to know about Jesus. Recent surveys have shown that most people, when you say, I want to talk to you about church, they say, I don't want anything to do with it. But when you say, hey, let's have a chat about Jesus, they are much more open And they actually want to find out, who is this Jesus? We often talk uh, about fasting and the importance of that, but fasting really is an important discipline in our life, but it actually doesn't help others, it helps us. Today we're going to talk about feasting. We're going to look at uh, some things in the Bible that Jesus did and how we did them. We're going to apply them to how we can effectively change what we do a 1,095 times a year to make a difference in the worlds of the people around us, whether it be at work, whether it be at the soccer fields on Saturday afternoon, whether it be at your home with people that don't know Jesus, whether it be with your neighbours. Remember this? 
Who is your neighbor? We did this a couple of years ago. I don't know if you still get this on your fridge. I still have this on your fridge and we've had to rub it out and change it a few times because people have moved. But one of the things we talked about in this is it just starts with inviting them over for a meal. So my question to us this morning is how could we change the worlds we're in by looking differently at how we eat with people? What could we do differently following the example of Jesus that can make such a difference, that can help us all to live sent? The truth is, people are going to find out about Jesus through those who already know him. That's you. That's me. When we understand, and hopefully the result of this five-week series is, is we understand a little bit better, that we are not meant to just become a Christian and then huddle together in groups of other Christians. We are absolutely meant to share our faith, to be in the world, not of the world, but be in the world, and to help people find and discover the purpose of life, their creator, to, to help them find eternal life. And if you are stuck at the moment with your faith, if you are feeling dry or a little bit, you know, blasé or a little bit stagnant, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you actively sought to share your faith with somebody? Because that's what keeps us alive. If we just huddle together in Christian bubbles and, and eat together and live together and talk together, how is the world going to know about Jesus? We have to be in there with them. And one of the easiest and most effective ways of doing that is to share meals with people. Evangelism, if you want to call it that, or living scent, is done way more effectively over a table than it ever is in an auditorium like this. Jim Peterson, he wrote a, a, a great book called Church Without Walls. He wrote these words, I know of no more effective environment for initiating evangelism than a dinner at home or in a quiet restaurant. So let's look at how Jesus did it. That's always a good place to start. And let's look at three ways that eating with people can help us live sent, can, can bring the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. The first point, meals extend grace and remove barriers. Let's read this story in Luke 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, or Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Do you notice the first thing that Matthew did when he was called into communities, he threw a party and he said, we're going to have a big party at my house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees had no issue with the fact that Jesus was, was having a party, was, was, was eating, but he, but he had a massive issue with who he was eating with. Tax collectors at that time were, were worse than sinners. That's why they have their own category in the Bible. It's sinners and tax collectors. Because they were Jewish people who had sold themselves out and had started to rip off the Jewish people by working for the Romans. They were the enemy. But here is a tax collector who not only was having a meal with Jesus, but Jesus had, had invited him to follow him. And they were eating around a table together. And in that time, the cultural significance of meals and banquets was huge. 
far more than it is today. Being welcomed to the table for the purpose of eating food and drinking with somebody else had a really rich symbolic demonstration of friendship and intimacy and unity. So by sharing a meal with these people, Jesus wasn't just having a chat. He was actually demonstrating that he was with these people, that there was a removal of all the things that had previously held them apart. You would never betray and be unfaithful to someone with whom you'd shared a table. That wasn't done. On the other hand, when someone was estranged or you had fallen out with someone, one of the best ways of bringing them back into a relationship is to have a meal or to throw a party. You might remember the story of a young man who had been estranged from his family and found himself eating slops and went back and the first thing his dad said is, we're going to throw a party. You see, in Jesus' day, meals not only created boundaries between friendship and intimacy, but the, but the Jewish food laws symbolized cultural boundaries. You weren't allowed to eat with people that weren't Jewish because the, the way you ate, the food preparation, it kept you separate. But Jesus, in his wisdom, used a meal to start breaking these barriers down and saying there is no more us than them. It's just us. You know one of the challenges of, of living in a, in a faith community is the longer you're in the community, the less your community involves other people outside the faith community. We have to be so careful as believers that we continue to foster and grow and encourage relationships with people who aren't yet walking with Jesus. Because otherwise we're just going to be a bubble of Christians that get smaller and smaller and smaller. You do... Back 30 or 40 years ago, the way that you would bring someone into a faith community is you would invite them to church. Can I tell you that in 2023, that's probably the last step? Because if you go to someone who doesn't know Jesus and you say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? They may say yes, but they'll probably say no. But if you say to someone, hey, what are you doing Saturday night? Do you want to come around? I'm doing a 12-hour slow-cooked lamb shoulder with some sautéed... Asparagus. I sound like Pastor Graham now, don't I? (laughs) There's a really good chance that they'll say, yeah, that sounds great. You see, when we share meals with people, when we eat with others with an intention of sharing the kingdom, there is a grace that breaks down barriers. Jesus knew what he was doing. He says in Luke 5.31, continuing... In this little section of scripture, it says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees were asking Jesus to behave like a doctor that didn't want to have anything to do with sick people. How many of us who are the doctors in our world are no longer hanging out with sick people? As followers of Jesus, we cannot do our work of pointing people to him, of loving and helping a broken and dying world if we no longer hang out with them. Just can't. And you can hang out with them because you work next to them in the cubicle, but that's not relationship, that's not community, that's just proximity. We'll look in a moment at another thing that meals can do. 
in regards to building and fostering community and deepening relationships. But meals are so important because they extend grace and they break down barriers. The first thing Matthew did when he became a follower of Jesus was throw a party and say, Jesus, let's go. You'll see it in, I think, uh, episode 5 of series 1 of The Chosen. It's amazing. Now, that, it may have been different because that was filmed now, but you get the idea. Do you remember when you first met Jesus? Just cast your mind back to when you first became a follower of Jesus. We were the same. We, we wanted to tell everyone about him. We wanted to invite people. We wanted to, to bring people and explain to them. We were so excited for them to, to meet the person that had changed our life. But as I just said, it's really easy as we go on in our Christian walk to start to hang out with more and more people who believe and think like we do. And then our circles of influence get smaller and smaller and smaller. And Living Scent is, is, is not a program where we plug in and all of a sudden we change the world. It is simply a way of looking at how we already do life. The things that, that are currently just part of our everyday routine saying, how can I do that differently to have a greater impact? To be more effective. My prayer is that us as members of Hope Center, as as a church, just like Jesus was. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. Because he hung out with people that the religious elite said, no, no, you don't hang out with them. But my prayer is that as a church, we are known, oh, that's the church that hangs out with the people that no one else wants to hang out. That's the church that hangs out with sinners. Let's not get too religious and too removed where we're like oh i could never invite them or i could never go there jesus did so my question this morning before we go to point two is who in your world will experience god's grace what barriers can be removed in the next few weeks because you chose to eat with someone that maybe you don't normally eat with just a question that's homework if you're taking notes and i can see four of you are you write that down Second thing that eating with someone can do is it can build relationship and community, deep in relationship, build community. How many of you remember a really significant meal that started or deepened a relationship? You all, you all can. It's probably the first date you had with your I mean, Tamara and Glenn are smiling. I remember in 1998, I was in Montreal, and this was the first night that Helen and I decided to go out after being apart for 18 months. So we'd sort of broken up officially, unofficially. I wrote her a letter. I thought it was really heartfelt. Dear Helen, move on with your life. I am not the person you thought I was. You're better off without me. Uh, I don't want to disappoint you or hurt you. I thought it was like very honest. Anyway, so 18 months later, we bump into each other in Montreal. And we decide to go out for dinner. And she invites me out for dinner at this beautiful place called the Vieux Four, which is French. It sounds very romantic. It's French for old oven. <laughs> it was an Italian restaurant, but all her friends were there. All her friends from Montreal, and then there was me. And the whole night, I just kept thinking, this is the first night of the rest of my life, of this next season of my life. I'd had some challenges, and it was Anyway, I won't go into it, but there, there was some other female f- people following me and chasing me. And 
All my fault. A little bit psycho. So, anyway, I won't go into that. You can come and see me later. If you're new to Hope Centre, I have a past. I'm saved by grace. And the reason I'm here is that God is good and I'm not. Anyway, moving on. So this is the first night where Helen and I, after 18 months apart, probably more me, I'm like, you know what? That season of my life is done. This is who I want to be with. This is, the, this is the future. So we had this dinner together and it was amazing. And we still talk about it. At about 10 o'clock, the music starts to change and we're finishing our Italian dinner and then the, they push the tables away and all of a sudden this view for this old oven turns into a, like a nightclub and we're, you know, I won't show you the dance moves. Because... But we all have those memories of significant moments where we've started or, 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 or continued to build relationships. It's super important. One of the values of Hope Center is belong. And belong looks like this. We thrive in relationship and we connect with others. One thing belonging isn't is being in the same room with each other. That's not belonging. One thing belonging isn't is working in the same office with someone. One thing belonging isn't even is eating at the same table with somebody. You see, if we're going to do this and we're going to live sent, we have to realize that meals are one of the best opportunities to start conversations, to build relationships, to bring people into community. There's a great example of this in Luke. Luke chapter 7, Jesus had been invited to a a, a Pharisee's house. His name was Simon. And Simon said, hey Luke, um, hey Jesus, I want you to... uh, Luke's where it's written. um, And I'm not Jesus. Jesus. he says, Jesus, come, I want you to eat at my place tonight. And while I were there, you know the story, a woman of ill repute, probably a prostitute, but she'd had a history. She came in and she started loving on Jesus. She started showing him attention and affection. We're going to read from verse 39. When the Pharisee, she, she, she poured out oil on his, or, or, or perfume on his feet. She was crying. She was cleaning his feet with her hair. Simon, who's the Pharisee, said, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. A few verses later, verse 44, Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. You see, in Jesus' day, it was absolutely part of the culture of the time that when you arrived at someone's house, they provided you with an opportunity of washing your feet because it was dusty. They kissed you as a sign to say, we're together and everything I have is yours. They put oil on your head as a way of showing that they, you were clean in, in, in their house. Simon did nothing of this. Because for Simon, it wasn't about relationship, it was about proximity. He just wanted to be seen with Jesus. But Jesus saw something in this woman that is so important. And, and we need to see people the same way. 
We need to understand that if we're going to build true community, it's not just about being in the same location and environments as people. It's about connecting with them. It's about building relationship. It's about being there and understanding we have an opportunity to start conversations that could change the trajectory of people's lives. My encouragement to you, especially if you've been in Hope Centre for any length of time, is stop resisting community. Don't remain at a distance, whether it's with each other or whether it's in your workplace or whether it's in your gym or wherever you are. Understand that proximity does not build relationship. But over a meal, over a coffee, over a shared croissant at 10.30 in the morning, conversations can start. And one of the things that's really important is that when you are there, you are present. That you understand that it's not so much about the quality of the food or the environment. It's about who you are with and why you are there. I have been guilty of inviting people over and being so stressed about providing the perfect meal, the three-course this and that, that the actual reason why we're inviting people over becomes like a stress and a burden. And Helen's like, darling, they're just friends. It's okay. Chill out. Like, if, why, why invite them over if, if all you're going to do is run around the house and worry about whether the lamb has been cooked enough? It's the Holy Spirit. That's, she's, she's like my Holy Spirit. When Martha complained about her sister who was sitting and listening to Jesus while she was doing all the work, Jesus rebuked her and said, no, no, Mary has made the right choice. The problem wasn't the work. It's, it's, she was so busy doing everything that she forgot the reason that she was doing it, which was to spend time with Jesus. When you share a meal with someone, it could be just your lunchtime, regular, you know, um, whatever, rice paper rolls on a Tuesday. This week, when you go and have lunch with somebody at work, think, how can I do this differently? How can this half an hour start something that wasn't there before because there's an intentionality about what I'm doing? Whether you're having friends over for dinner or serving at church or having rice paper rolls on a Tuesday, make time to enjoy and understand the people you're with. That's what Jesus did. And the truth is that we can know each other in a gathering like this. We can meet the same eyes week after week after week. But it's meals that facilitate conversations and deepen relationships. It's not just passing in the corridor. So my question to you before we go on to the next point is how can your next meal with someone be one that starts or builds relationship? And that takes us to point number three. When Jesus ate with people, he showed the true heart of God by facilitating mission, by serving the poor, by bringing the marginalized closer. And if we're too honest, and I'm, I can put my hand up and say the same, too often we share meals with people that we already know. We invite people that we already have a relationship with. We invite people that it's easy to hang out with rather than it's important to hang out with. When we eat with people, we've got to ask, is this reflecting the heart of God? Is the way I am, is the food I've prepared, is, or is it just trying to present something a facade, if you like, or, or, or are we trying to serve people because it makes us feel good? I've, I've been guilty of that by spending way too long preparing food 
instead of understanding that it's actually about building relationship and, and, and deepening friendships. In Luke 14, we read a great story about a meal at a, a prominent house. Luke 14, 12 says this. He says to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, how many people have had a luncheon recently? They're not a dumb thing anymore. When you have lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In Jesus' day, there was this very important cultural thing called reciprocity. It kept the classes uh, divided, if you like. And reciprocity worked like this. If you invited someone to dinner, immediately there was an obligation for that person to then invite you back. If you gave a gift, there was immediately an obligation for that person to give you a gift. It kept social classes different, uh, distant and it kept the framework of society very ordered. And if you did give food to the poor, you would throw it out the back where they would get it. But you would never invite them in. Because then your house and, and everything in it would be contaminated and it would break the social order. When we eat with people and we do it in the way Jesus did in a way that's motivated by grace and acceptance and not reciprocity or division, we can actually change the way people think about who Jesus really is. The the truth is all of us would be more comfortable going and giving food to somebody in need than inviting them to share a meal with us. That's That's true. Because when we give food to somebody, we say, there you go, you need it, I have it, it's yours. That, in a way, can can say, um, you're always going to need me, so I'll just keep giving you food. But when you bring them in and say, instead of just giving you food, I'm going to invite you to a meal. Why don't you come over to our place? Why don't, we, why don't I take you out for lunch and we eat together? It changes everything. We have to be really careful with with charity that it doesn't reinforce that we have and they don't. Jesus never did this. Even when Jesus fed the 5,000, people who needed it, who were starving, who he didn't know, he sat and ate with them. He didn't just give them food and leave. There is a different dynamic that takes place when we sit and we share a meal with somebody. When we share the same food, when we share the same experience, when we... Affirm one another. Jesus named the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, but really that just, that just summarizes the marginalized in our society. One of the beautiful things about Help Day, and we're going to do it again this year, is when we went to Emmanuel City Mission last year, we didn't just give them food and then leave. We sat down and we shared meals with them. And I, to be honest, when I went and saw Robbie on Thursday to say, hey, would you like us to do that again? Or do you just want us to do like a, barbecue he said oh no no you have to do it again i said why he said it it probably took six months until the last person who came into emmanuel city mission stopped saying when are we going to do that dinner again where people come and eat with us that is the impact it blew me away when he said that 
That they remember the fact that people that didn't know them wouldn't just give them food and say, there you go, go and eat on your own, but would sit down with them and share time and share a meal and have conversations and love on them. There's a great book. I highly recommend it. Grab it after this series and read it. It's from, uh, from an author called Tim Chester. And he wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus. And in that, he writes this. If you tell someone he's a sinner who needs God while you're handing him a cup of soup, then he'll hear you saying he's a loser and you should become, uh, who should become like you. But when you eat together as friends and you tell him what a messed up person you are, then you, can call, then you can tell him about sin and grace. You'll never hear me standing up here saying, I've got it all together. I'm pretty honest. I, I, I try as much as I can to say, hey, I'm just one of you. And when God speaks through me, he speaks to me first. But we have to understand the power of inviting people into our world, building relationship with them, extending them grace and love, And there is no better place to do that than side by side sharing the same food. It's actually not rocket science. It's a habit that we all do already, but if we just tweaked it 10%, what a difference we could make. So my question to you as we wrap up this morning, who in your world have you not shared a meal with recently? Who are the people that you know that you have proximity with but you don't yet have relationship with? Maybe it's a soccer mum that that you see every single week. Maybe it's the person in the gym. Maybe it's your workmate. Maybe it's a relative that, you know, for whatever reason you've become distant. It looks different for all of us. But all of us can be intentional about how we use food, how we use eating with people, how we use sharing a meal, how we follow the example of Jesus to make a difference wherever we are. The power of this whole neighbor thing is that every single one of us are surrounded by eight families. And statistics would say seven of those don't know Jesus. If you go up to them without knowing them and say, hey, I'm going to church tomorrow. Would you like to come with me? There's a good chance they'll say no. If you bake them some cookies and drop them off at their front door and say, hey, you know, we don't know each other very well, but I just was thinking of you the other day. And and is there a time in the next few weeks that you could come over and join us for a meal? I can promise you that they will not say no. Unless your food is really bad. But they won't know that. So they'll at least come one time. (laughs) I want us to be a church that has a reputation for hanging out with people, not just that no one else wants to, but that that are more lonely than you realise, that need community, that need to belong. And my encouragement to all of us, myself included, is... Let's be people that open our homes and our hearts and more importantly, our schedules. And let's eat with people for the purpose of showing them grace 
of strengthening and deepening relationships, of having meaningful conversations, of inviting them into community and of ultimately introducing them to Jesus.